0: You know, I was thinking earlier. It did. I really does it, it rarely I,
1: happen to you? Like you rarely, yeah, think? You so know. it's just notable that you actually. I didn't know. What
0: I realized was, I just really <laughs> enjoy Paris so much more when I don't have to play by her own rules. You know, as a temporary visitor or something <laughs> like that.
1: I'll never get sick of this. Actually, I'm sick of this, but I'll never get sick of this. And the reason why I'll never get sick of this is because the party at Dearworth Park is oh, the most man. peaceful I've seen in Philadelphia. What Everyone's a happy fascinating interview. coexisting, Have you read that? and it's really cool. Actually, this is for the show. Something's going to be awesome next week. Yeah. But I, it's gonna be I, cool. I feel like it's not going to be what I expect, which is kind of cool. I kind of like that.
0: So I hope it's not a thing that goes on your wrist, but what I've been saying is that. If it is a thing that goes on your wrist, there's two things that need to be true. Mm-hmm. Number one is the screen and all of the smart stuff has to be on the inside of your wrist. Jesus, yes. See this, right? I'm doing this hand motion in the video.
1: Right. Right on the I'm, inside of your wrist. To, yeah, it's pointing yeah. Because
0: number his. one, I learned from my time wearing a pebble that the outside of your wrist is number one, both. That's, num- that's sub number one. Um, it's horribly uncomfortable to like turn your wrist to look at when you're trying to read stuff on it. It's fine for glancing at a, at a watch, like, you know, whatever. If you're trying to read, it's horribly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's broadcasting it to everybody around you. <laughs> the inside of your wrist is a lot more, like, private, and I think that's what you need in the screen like that. Also, it's if the brains are there, that can do a lot more, uh, like, health kit kind of stuff on the inside. Right. So I'd
1: like to point out that you said my time wearing a Pebble as if you were in a penitentiary. <laughs> <Like> just, <laughs> it was just, like, it was just so, so dreadful. You had to wear a Pebble. Number two. A oh, Pebble, by the way, is a smart watch funded by yeah. Kickstarter, yeah. on Kickstarter, um, just so people, because some people right. might And
0: it's it. a regular watch, so the screen's on the outside. But the Apple thing, if it's a wrist thing, which I still highly doubt, the the smart stuff and the screen needs to be on the inside of your wrist. And number second point is, if you have... <laughs> if you have um number b number b <laughs> the outs so if the screen's on the inside the outside is wide open for fashionable items whether that's like oh. if you can buy a specific design or if it's like things that slide in or out and you can kind of dress it up you know cuz since that's the part that's being presented to everybody else in the world you could you could fashion that
1: part up but that means your your actual user user end user uh, screen is on the fastening side. So how do how do you, how do you fasten this? Thing?
0: No, I don't know. It's magic, dude. <laughs> right? There's like one yeah, screw just... in my 27 inch iMac. They can probably Buster. figure out how to make a fastener not in the way.
1: That fits multiple sizes. Yeah. So I think, didn't someone make a joke about how they, uh, they had a, no, it wasn't a joke. Someone put a patent for, a like a, a slap on thing.
0: Oh dude, that's great. <laughs>
1: that's no, that, is it a joke or is that an, an actual for slap patent? bracelet? Yeah. You know,
0: you don't know slap bracelets?
1: Yeah, I, of course I know okay. them, but I'm imagining like you, Pat, the age of it. I am I'm imagining the Apple marketing department going like, "Oh shit, we have to That's like, amazing. make this look like That's it's amazing. cool." And I mean, it was, I remember right here in Paris actually. I remember going to the bakery uh, right by my elementary school and they had those slap wrists on sale at the bakery store shop. And it, it was nuts. It was right next with uh, the things that you could, um, I think candy you would buy, and then inside there would be this thing you dissolve in water and turns into a monster. Like th- that those things cool. were like, the hottest that. items. That yeah, cool, it's super cool. It was kind of like those things that grow in water, you know, that just, oh, this yeah, thing yeah. you would drop in water and it's just a gigantic Oh, I think I vaguely thing. remember that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, it would expand into like a, a figurine that looked like a monster. So cool. Yeah, it, was, it was awesome. Though, anyway, that, that kind of takes us to the. How long have people been talking about Apple doing shit with fashionable items aside from, you know, headphones and, you know.
0: About as long as they've been talking about a TV.
1: Right. Which is, which is weird because at the time it was like people were saying either or and then eventually it turned into like, oh, I guess uh, maybe both.
0: Well, no, because both of, both of those things, when everyone started being convinced that Apple was doing that, mm-hmm. was a weird switch when everyone decided that Apple was first to stuff. Yeah, like, the good yes. stuff that Apple's done—they've never been first to. And all this after the iPad, everyone assumed that they've always been first to things. So they were like, "Oh, what? What are people not doing? That's what Apple's going to do next." And that's never the case ever.
1: Never. That's so. It, uh, that, that's been well, annoying for years. Actually, when they're successful, it's never the case. Right.
0: The good right. stuff is never. They're never first.
1: Well, the Newton, right? The I Newton, don't know if they were the first, stuff. but yeah, it was one of the first, and it, it was early. Miserably. The, and it's funny because so we the, the, the thing that I kind of want to talk about today is, is the attention to detail. right? Not just the attention to detail, but the care, the, the human level care that fuels good design. And I think that making yourself last in the race is a thing that no one in business wants to do because you can't sell that. It's so hard to sell to a board of directors, hey, how about we be last to market? because we'll know what everybody's sucked at and we'll do it better than them because we are the best. We have more money than them. We can just, just swallow their entire burgeoning uh, marketplace, right? Or or we can swallow the mind shares of people because it's not a music player, it's an iPod.
0: Or you can let them try out terrible ideas that are not <laughs> ever going to sell and then you're like, hey, nobody wants that, so let's work on something else that's really cool. Like, you get all of those benefits and if, if you have the patience and the ability to like, I guess it's more self-control and restraint to know, yeah. it's like saying no to putting things into your products. Like if you have the self-restraint to say, no, we're not going to do that right now. No, that's not going to be a part of what we do. Um, You can be a lot more strategic like that and, and actually come up with something that people are going to love and buy. And it's, it's worked out for Apple and there's not, I, I can't name a long list of people that have figured out, they, they have a good balance of that, of knowing when they need to push something into a new area, knowing when they need to sit back and let it fester.
1: Yeah, <laughs> It's not burgeoning for you. It's festering. Festering. So just well, wait until people are so fucking sick of everything. I have a good of
0: later on this, in this.
1: Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, so I, I like this idea, like the festering idea, because... So I, I believe capitalism can work, right? I'd say it's a weird thing. like It seems like a super controversial idea, but I believe it can work, and I believe that not all people are out for blood and being short-sighted and everything. But it's hard to argue against the fact that most companies based on money-making endeavors, right, money-making, just pursuing pursuing selling things for a living, not necessarily profit, but just selling things for, for a living, just at least making, breaking even, are – often led by people that are biased into making shitty decisions when it comes to creative stuff like this right and it seems weird that even at a time where apple was on the brink of destruction or in its founding days they were i don't know if it was as much the case in the in that that time but they're able to make these kinds of decisions either because they're institutionally protected against that shit like the bad we have to do a watch. Everybody's doing a watch. Everybody like like stuff like that, the
0: pressure that builds. Yeah.
1: Right. Or, or, Oh, like this idea that the same idea that fuels your, Oh shit, I have to buy this domain name. Nobody has this domain name. (laughs) Like it's, it's an, it's the market's right. No, there's no market. Nobody wants it. There's no validation that anybody cares. And the, the only hard work Apple has to do now or soon is to say, these people just did it wrong. So let me let me trust us. You've trust us, trusted us in the past. We've done it right, and here's why. Like, and generally that they won. Like I they think, won with the iPad.
0: I think the something that goes unsaid in these conversations is that, and I think a, a large part of what I've never worked for Apple, obviously, but what what I gather is that they have something right within their organization that not a lot of people get, and it's that they understand that true craftsmanship and refining of details takes time and the time is worth it and a lot of people want to push out whatever they can whenever they can and this was the rabbit hole i was gonna say i thought it was gonna take longer to get here but (laughs) go like just ship it sometimes is so bad and and it's not you know if you're building like a little open source tool ship it put it up on github people will help you out that's cool if you're building something that you know like we're talking about if there's if it's these products that you want to be perfectly you know johnny ived up with the laser etching of (laughs) sandblasted nuclei, all that stuff like, Chamfered edges, yeah, <laughs> all that stuff. Like, if you're going for that level of detail and precision, and you need to get every bit of that right in order for the product to come together, you need to make sure it feels right in your hands. The edges are right. Apparently, they didn't spend enough time with the edges of the MacBook Pros because they're like chafing everyone's wrists and all that. But still, yeah, I don't know. They're, no, because I've bad. worn down the edges now. They're not even. <laughs> they're not even sharp. You anymore. have tools, you know. Right. Yeah, but like the the. They've got that thing right internally that they know that craftsmanship to a particular level, and it's often the level that they want, takes time to build and and really nail down the details of. And it's not going to be the first iteration. It's going to be three or four, right? Remember how many iPhone like, prototype things came out in that Samsung oh, lawsuit?
1: That was incredible. Like how
0: many different things they went through. and And any other company, Samsung or otherwise, would just say, hey... This looks pretty good. Let's ship no, they it. They ship the first yeah, prototype. They're right.
1: like, oh, we got a prototype. Right. Oh, let's market it already. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not even or ready for production. let's announce it and not yeah.
0: say a price or release date or anything good. But, <laughs> and a yeah. stupid little curve on the edge that nobody knows. Not even they know what they're going to do with it. But no, That's nice. It's but super I easy think, to maintain. Like, I even see that a lot in, in our particular line of work, which isn't hardware design. I feel like hardware design, you see that much more evidently because the details, yeah. the, the misses on the details come out a lot. You know, it's when you're holding something, you you see those misses Feel a lot it easier. right away. Right. But even in software side of things, like I I know, you know, in certain organizations that I either know or have friends at or whatever, like there's not that appreciation that craftsmanship of the details takes time, and it's not always the first uh, like, iteration of it that's going to get all those details right. I
1: wonder why it's what it must be some kind of feedback structure. You know, like just like. I don't know if we, we – just, I just mentioned, I think, to you before the show about feedback, uh, someone wanting feedback faster. Oh, no, no. I was talking about some, somebody else. Yeah, I was talking about um, a um, developer on our team uh, saying to me uh, that she enjoyed, she enjoyed software more than, uh, than science in some regards because she had better, faster feedback on what she was doing. And that seems – the problem with these, these things is that craftsmanship or attention to detail – or slow iteration through prototypes is a thing where, for which you don't get fast feedback, so it's very hard to build an organization where you're going to um, you're going to encourage that, but because you you tell you basically see how much of an impact it had right away. Whereas if you iterate, the, it's like a drug because say okay say you're doing the lean startup thing, you get to customers faster so you get to talk to customers and they'll they'll tell you either they either they like it or they don't like it and that that's reassuring it's a really reassuring thing whereas if you do a big scientific study let's say you won't hear if it's useful or good or bad for 3 years maybe and maybe your protocol was wrong you designed this thing wrong but you won't know and that that takes an incredible amount of restraint and just yeah I think there m- I don't know. I feel like organ orga- uh, organizationally it's something that must I don't know what f- ensures that I don't know if it can last forever like if it's something they've baked into the way Apple works as a as a company I don't I don't feel like the, there's such a thing as it like can you make a a hierarchical structure that just ensures that you're shielded from <laughs> short-term concerns Mobile me
0: you know, like stuff slips through the cracks. So it's (laughs) not, it's not like they're Apple's not perfect. They're not, they're not, they don't have the perfect, like everything that comes out of there is not amazing. Mobile, mobile me, even iCloud, the first iteration of that, right. Apple maps, right. Like some of these things were clearly just ship it because we need to get it out there. Um, and I've had almost no iCloud problems in the last, I don't know, a couple months to a year. So Mm -hmm. it's been fine. But for a while it was, it was rough and. You know, so I what I was just thinking about what you were saying, like how did it get there? How did it get to be so instilled in people that work at Apple? Yeah. How much of it is dependent on uh, vision of a product owner or whoever's leading a charge? How much of the the ability to say this is not ready yet, it needs more iteration? How much of that comes down to the overall vision that a product owner has to know <laughs> where something's going? Because I think like you were saying that you know an organization might not have that restraint. But if, if the buck stops at a particular person and they have such a strong vision for where that's going, they might know, we need another two iterations
1: on this. Yeah, but that's scary. I don't want to think that. <laughs> you don't want to make me think about that because that, that would... See, that... I think you're right. I think you're right. But that's also the problem of that that one person doesn't have impeccable taste. Like, for instance, let, let's say... Let's assume, like, that Jobs had that just somewhat his taste was the thing that made it impossible or unlikely that people would allow something to be shipped. He'd fucked up. Like there, there are things about his taste that he didn't have a, of um, an error handling mechanism for his own bad taste. For instance, like Corinthian leather and, and stuff. Yeah, like I was going to bring that he, up too. Right. He, that, he that thought
0: ICAL version that was just, I remember I texted you the day that ical came out that looked yeah. like leather. And I was like, what have they done to this?
1: Yeah. And For him, I wonder – so basically what I would get to is I think the same thing that makes you iterate discreetly internally and try to make things really good is that you're worried. You're either worried or you have a huge challenge to overcome. For the iPad, gigantic challenge to overcome. You have to convince a bunch of people who are definitely going to say this is a big phone. A bunch of people who are going to say this is just a crippled computer. And a bunch of people who are going to say, but it's slow. What can it do? It's just the thing to watch things and pay for things. You can't
0: make anything on this thing.
1: No, it's a content consumption device. <laughs> right. And like, you, I'm sure they, because in a in a, in a good organization, there's people who voice their opinion, um, hopefully. And then these people are going to say, okay, so I know we're within this secretive, secretive uh, iPad team, but we, like, this is like, if I showed this to my mom, she would be like, why would I use this? So I think that's what they work for they work for and this is where I want to s- uh, slip in this um, this Mark Newsom Johnny Ive interview on Charlie Rose that uh, John Gruber put on Darren Fireball this morning I think or like yesterday and it's it's about design because it's basically about an auction that they did with Newsom uh, who's now just joined Apple or recently joined Apple to work on Johnny Ives team which is a huge deal because he's one of the most revered industrial designers in the world and, uh, and a friend of Johnny Ive. Anyway, they were talking about, I think the core of the interview was, for me, when they started talking about why, what makes good design. And they said, they basically said, it's not just the designer trying to trumpet their own genius. It's about, it's. I'm paraphrasing, but it's about the designer caring more about the person behind the, the tool and how they're going to help them and how obvious it is when you see the the object or the thing that you're selling and how you can't think, you, it's impo- how impossible it is to think, why didn't, didn't this thing exist before? It's so obviously made to solve this problem. And I feel like to achieve that level of just obviousness, he explains basically that it looks simple. I think both of them say that. It looks simple, but it took painstaking af- effort to to reach that point to reduce distractions from the product so that it would, there wouldn't be anything standing in the way of you saying, wow, I need this. I didn't know I needed it, which is what people assign to the cult of Apple. Like they say, okay, you manufacture want basically you just, just make people think they need a tablet. But there's a bunch of people I know who didn't want and didn't think they needed a computer because it was so distracting for them to use, they couldn't even use it, and the iPad was so effortless to them that suddenly now they're using iPads and now they're using iphones. These people didn't have a computer they like they, they couldn't even fathom the idea of using a tool like that or they didn't even like it anyway um, and that's what I've says is that the secret isn't uh ship you know ship fast ship ship often or uh, we are just smarter than everybody else or something. It's just like we care more. We give more of a shit than anybody else. And but they
0: also have the vision to match that. Like they know, they know what they want to build. And they know like everything there starts with this is a device that people are going to use like this and it's going to be about this big. Let's figure out what we need to figure out to get there. And we'll redesign chips, we'll make our own chips, we'll put ports wherever we need to put them, and we'll we'll figure out the hardware to get there internally, you know, we'll make the engineers work whatever hours they work <sighs> right. to to figure that out. But it, it started with a vision somewhere, and whether that's, I don't know, you know, I don't know who it is there, but if it's Johnny Ive, like I presume, or if it was always Jobs, which I don't necessarily think. Um, like, somebody had to have an overarching vision to say, this is where we're going, and Somebody needs to be able to say, "Hey, we're there now." Because if you, you know, if you had somebody who was a really good designer, they could iterate forever. They could work on iPad iterations for their entire life because they're a designer and that's what they do. They'll figure things out. Right. They'll iterate. But somebody needs to know that now it is time to go. Like now it's ready. I,
1: I think that's personal taste. I, I was about to say maybe this like Jobs or anybody who's the product owner, um, would think. I have this target audience, which kind of makes me cringe when I think about it. But basically, I'm like imagining my mom using this, which is a kind of a trite example, right? A bunch of people say this, like, "Well, my mom would never use this." Therefore, what do you know? Like, you're just, you're just, you're not your mom, first of all. <laughs> and my mom uses—it's incredible how much she uses her iPhone compared to she learned to use her MacBook Pro, but sort of reluctantly but she decided not to take her uh, her Macbook Pro on vacation and she just the she was just like fl- like flicking doing like looking up tennis scores and stuff like crazy on her iPhone which i, I know some people who were you know 20 30 something some things and they they don't do that they like they don't they feel crippled on an iPhone and she feels liberated on it it's weird and i feel like anyway it's a slight digression but basically i think maybe it's internal I think the taste I I maybe it's based on my perception but when I see something that we've done at code school or that I've done personally and it's not worth it's not good enough I know it's not good enough because I would not be proud to say hey we've done this people and I think that's what you need basically you need that the taste developing, and I forget who says that you have to develop your own taste, but that's basically it. I think it's the story of design, basically. You just you learn other people's uh, preferences, aesthetics, and stuff like that. You admire some, and then you think that, that you'll never be good enough for these, and then you develop your own favorite or your own sense of what's good, and then... You judge your own work by that, but that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah, it was Sean McCabe. I think he was talking about that. He was talking about the fact that you can't really reach 100% of your taste. It takes years for you to reach that, and what you need to aim for is 90%. And I think that's maybe what they stop at. And this is the restraint that I also So, for instance, you just mentioned before the, the prototypes. Some of the prototypes are later iterations of the iPhone.
0: Right. Yeah, they actually looped back around to them, yeah
1: but i think they didn't loop i think they 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 shot too high and they realized that they couldn't do that yet oh i get you that right that they didn't have the plastic or they didn't have the the, the screen strength the connector wasn't ready and they had to use a 30 pin for 4 years cuz it was too big right, right. exactly and that they, i think of all the thing apple does this planned like we can't do this yet we have to be patient so this is the part where i'm i'm thinking about like santa's Uh, factory, basically. I'm like, oh my god, they're holding on, like, they have, like, two-year-from-now iPhone, which is maybe kind of crazy. But, yeah, I've probably thinks, okay, you know what? He sees it, like, you see your own website thinking, ah, this CSS is terrible. Like, I have one way better. You're not going to see it for two years because I have to test it. I have to get the production lines ready and stuff like that.
0: Well, okay, so I like what you were saying about internal, like, the internal feeling that something's not good enough or something's not ready to go or something like that. And the key to, I still am a staunch believer that a product needs an owner who says when it is ready to go. But the most important thing is that they trust the people who are in the trenches working on a product. They trust when that person says this part's not ready yet. We're not, this is not the best we can do. Um, I know we have X, Y, and Z ways that we can improve this and make it more towards the vision that we have. And the the product owner, whoever that is, has to have the ability to say, I trust this person and what they're telling me. And for that reason, I don't think we're ready yet. Let's focus on that area a little bit. And when that's done, we're ready to go or something like that. Like, I don't, I still feel like an entire committee of everybody working on the thing will never reach a point when everyone's like, we're ready, we're ready to do this. No (laughs) one will, you'll never reach 100% of that, you know? Yeah. And so whether or not you have someone in charge, or two people, or however many it is, a smaller group, that is in charge of saying when you are ready to go. They desperately need to trust the people that are building the thing, about the status of whatever that person's section is. Yeah, you know. So it's not. It's not like this person should have a dicta- dictatorial vision over this thing and and strike down everyone that says anything about the product other than them. <laughs> they need to be able to listen, you know, they need to be the best listener on the team to understand what everyone's pulling together. Um, but I still feel like there's, there's an intangible part there that's like, this person has taste and the vision for what we're building and yeah. knows when it's time. And that's impossible I, to talk about. Cause like, how do you, you can't really quantify that or anything.
1: It, and then how do you acquire it? Like, how do you, how, yeah. How, how do you,
0: how do you see that in other people before like working with them?
1: So, the problem I think is that most of the um perhaps apocryphal like made up after the fact stories about jobs are about the the um the flamboyant uh dickish dictatorship and not about the parts where he didn't say something where he did trust people so i i, I can't judge because I've never met the guy sadly and um the the one that I keep remembering is the one about the bubbles. you remember that one, that story yeah. The story of basically the engineer. This is a story of calling an engineer's bullshit or calling a designer's bullshit, which I think you need for that. You need a strong taste and and sh- uh, like assurance and your like confidence in yourself to say, you know, you do, you are the expert. But let me give you a normal person's perspective, and let me show you some physics. Give me this phone prototype. If it was as tight ty- as you said it was, when I put it in a an aquarium and drop it in water there shouldn't be any bubbles or there should be just very few bubbles but then jobs just and maybe it's a myth but it was like an old
0: ipod right yeah i think like the classic or like maybe not classic
1: might be an ipod or an iphone i don't know but he drops it in a tank and of course there's a bunch of bubbles coming out so he's like see it's not tight enough right there wasn't like
0: i don't know this i don't i know how much of this is like the myth or whatever but that was like the one prototype they had right at that point or something right but he was but, willing to put it on the line to dump it in a tank to show that it's not ready yet.
1: But that, that's it's. it's another. Uh, uh, it's another thing that I see. So as a, as an engineer, this just feels like an imposter saying that. But as a software developer, when I write say a piece of code and I'm trying to get it right, there's this this you get attached to how hard you've worked on it. It has nothing to do with the thing. You're just attached to how hard you've tried which is exactly what that prototype feels like in my head. We've worked so hard to make this prototype work. But at some point, someone inside of you or someone outside of you has to say, you know what, it's great that you worked really hard, but that work is useless. What you've learned is more useful than this work. Throw this away. And that's exactly that the thing that I've learned to do as a programmer is just like, you know what, this garbled mess of stuff that I just jumbled together and hacked together to make it work is not worth anything. It's just, I need to erase it, get rid of it, because now I understand the problem. Now, the prototype, you've learned all you need to learn about how to do the different parts, and you can just do it better from scratch. So I feel like that's—I may be a service that he, he, we tend to get attached to our hacks, like just like our slowly <laughs> iterated hacks.
0: This is my favorite thing you've ever said in our very short lifespan of a podcast. Oh, really? Um, like, you don't know how close <laughs> to home this hits. Oh, like, really? You have no idea. Yeah. I mean, oh. um, just the fact that, like, <laughs> a lot of times, and this was similar, this is similar to a thing I wrote about the word just uh, on Just yeah. Apart a couple weeks ago. Yeah. It's a very similar vein, but the fact that when we're going to build something, right, we Ooh. maybe say you and I are going to build something. We start building never. it. We're never going to build anything. We start building it, and like the the idea that the minute you start building, you have figured out what you're building, and then you're just doing it, mm-hmm. and and once it's done, it's done. Like that mm-hmm. is the worst. That is the worst. Like mind. I don't even know what to say right <laughs> now. Like that is the worst mindset you could ever have going into make up a something. word. Yeah, I don't. Just the fact that you think that. You are not gonna discover anything along the way that would change everything you're doing or change the way that you're coding something, you know, however large or minute it may be, whether it's just, I'm gonna use a different API, or I'm gonna completely re architect my API to do it this way, or something like that. Like the the thought that you don't learn anything about your own product as you're building it is a horrible mindset. And you need to be willing to say, Wow, this right now where we're at, we're we're starting to go the wrong direction, and if, unless we rewind all the way back to this point and start again from there, this is going to end up really crappy. Like, the ability to say, we know how to do this better now, and it's worth it to do that, that is, like... That ends up in such better products that it's... Again, it's, like, hard to sell that to a board of people who are saying, we need to get something out there, right? But mm-hmm. it's, it's almost intangible. But I don't know, it's just, like, the stagnation that you get by having that mindset of i started building a thing and i know how i'm going to build it and i'm just going to do it now Mm -hmm. that stagnation is so dangerous
1: i worry that this kind of mindset i I keep saying to people so speaking of engineers and i feel like that's kind of an engineer's curse right um i'm not really engineer maybe not the right word but system designers curse because you as a system designer oh i was actually building a talk about that um you uh you learn to think like a machine you learn to design machines or things that look like machines to other people and therefore you you start to think in very systematic systematic binary ways you just you know conditionals like you you start to think like that because you're surrounded by that every day so it becomes really hard to remember that you're not making the thing for the machine but you're making it for someone and it has to solve their problem and that you don't start because Elasticsearch is awesome. That's not like a product. Like Elasticsearch is awesome, and I need to make a thing with it. Is not how you start building something. I'm sure it's how you start practicing. Uh, for like, how I need to learn elast- Elasticsearch. It's how you have a fun weekend if you're a nerd, right? Or you, you do a hackathon, or I don't know, any a side project, and you just. But the problem is that so many people who learn technology. Care more about applying the technology than they care about solving the problems of people with tools, and that's not to say they're bad people. It's just that they're just excited like kids at Christmas, and it's like, oh, I want to play with this tool, and I was, and it's satisfying. It's just like dopamine burst, I'm sure, and then they tend to have this, this hor, (laughs) the same kind of like horrible mindset that you. It's not the building mindset, but it's the mindset that, ah, users, why must users always get in the way of me building cool shit? Why must there be people just inputting the wrong thing in the form? No, when people input the wrong thing in the form, you failed. You're the one who failed, not the user. You just, you didn't lead them down the right way, and it's... If you were there with a real person, you would never dare say the shit you say about users <laughs> when you're like looking at logs and you're like, ah fuckers. How ah. did you fill
0: that form out wrong? Yeah. The inputs were obviously stacked left to right and you're what? on a three inch screen.
1: And that's how you say it, like that's how you do it, right? That's always been done that way. Well prove it. Just like go see a real person and see how it's really they, the they... date
0: input was supposed to be month, month, day, day. Year, 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 year. <laughs>
1: Yeah, clearly Clearly, everybody in the world from Europe and put day day month
0: month, year 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 year.
1: Yeah, clearly writing out the fucking words instead of using (laughs) digits would not be a better way to type a date. I love how you just like loaded that gun for me. But so another thing that pisses me off. Do we want to end with? No, I don't think we want to be giving a shit. But that'll be a segue. I'll 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 just use my first segue token. Um, I have a thing to add to this. If if you're going to no go go, I'll, I'll I'll hold the segue. I, the I was just Talk wondering, you made me think
0: of something really interesting that you said something that uh, people that build things get caught up in the application of the tool rather than what the tool does for people. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we all could really put ourselves back in the shoes of the small child or young adult that we were when we figured out what we wanted to do <sighs> in technology, how much I this would change. Because I, I remember the day I figured out that I wanted to build things was... June ninth 2007, when my brother brought Jesus. home the iPhone. And yeah, you, I think you said that on the yeah, show before, right? and but like, I, I really do, do distinctly remember holding it for the first time and using it and going like, holy crap, I really want to make this stuff. And I remember being so excited about the thing in my hands, as clunky as it seems now, as slow as I'm sure iPhone OS, whatever it was called back then, was. Yeah, mine's in my closet over there, too. Like he's pulling okay. his out right now. Yeah. Mine's all sorts hey, of
1: smashed. Hey, 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 don't say that with no context. <laughs> they don't have video. No, I just I just pulled out my original iPhone.
0: But I re- I remember, like, being so in awe of this thing and just the joy of, like, going to a website that was, like, it, such simple stuff, but, like, the joy of using this thing and re- and realizing that I wanted to build things like that. If I could stay in touch with that every day, and I try to, like, how much would my perspective of users or whatever anything like that how much does that change if i can just remember being that that person you know like it, we get caught up now that we know you always talk about how we take our own knowledge for granted because we forget how far we've come and if we get caught up in that we start thinking about the technology however you worded it before the application of the technology more than mm-hmm. how it applies to people but if if we remember that person that realized they wanted to build this stuff like that person cared so much more about how people use technology than how technology worked mm-hmm. On, for the most part. Obviously, there's yeah. some people that got into it because of the way technology worked and all that. But I think the large majority of us got into it because of the way that people interacted with technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Or it, not necessarily people, you. Just they, they right. made you excited yourself. that yourself. So it's funny because before the show, you showed me a bunch of posters that you have in your house uh, of the Saturn V, right? Yep. To me, I think to you actually more, the the iPhone and that seems like fetishism and you know f- give me a fucking break uh, <laughs> if if you if you are someone who was um, burgeoning as an adult in at the time I and mean, in 2007 when the iPhone was announced and actually you used one you touched one this is your apollo like that's <laughs> that's amazing that's a great line thank you but that's that's it made real what something that you hoped could be real one day it's just basically this idea that you could have a communicator that you just, like, summon the world's knowledge in your pocket. And it's an not iPhone like... or an iPod, <laughs> a phone, and an, <laughs> and internet, an internet communicator. Nav. Communicator. That's it. He, said he Internet kn- communicator. That yeah. was a thing that he said. And you're yeah.
0: he saying he's, like, the best marketing guy of all time. <laughs> he said the words Internet communicator in a row.
1: But someone on Gizmodo a few years later tried to, to rename smartphones into comms. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that article. I, can't, I bet you I can summon this article from my internet communicator. Gizmodo anyway, I like com- the point
0: that you're making too much to yeah. try to distract us from it. The yeah, point so that that was such a defining moment of right. technology, especially growing up. Because that's right. like, yeah, it was obviously a defining moment of technology itself as a you know, capital T technology. But if you're growing up then, I, I remember the announcement. It was like January or something, right? It was, um, I think I was in sophomore year of high school. And I remember my brother was texting me during the day about it and, like, sent me a picture. And I couldn't wait to get home because I had, uh, there was, like, you know, once it would come up on iTunes to be downloaded, I could watch the keynote and all that. Like, I remember the excitement of that. And it, it it is that moment in technology that if you were, like, following it then, you remember that, especially growing up as, like, the moment that changed things in your life in a way that I wasn't there for Apollo, but Apollo would or something like that.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring up. That's the, a
0: really cool point. I don't know if anyone's worded it that way before. That that is that is really cool. Well,
1: because I think it's recent enough that people didn't realize, and it you can see it because occasionally on you on YouTube, <laughs> sorry, man, I'm looking up YouTube. So much. <laughs> occasionally, no, occasionally not on YouTube. Occasionally on Twitter, um, you have people kind of reminiscing about that time, and they just post like a section, especially the section of this thing that you just mentioned, where he goes. We have three new, new things to announce today. We have a video iPod. Woo! Crowd cheers! Uh, what's the second thing? A phone. A phone. Woo! And an internet communicate, communicating device or communication device. Woo! And then he says it again. And, of course, there's a graphic of a cube rotating in 3D. And each facet of the cube is one of these things. And then he looks at the cheering crowd and goes, get it? And it's just like it sends chills down my spine because I
0: just got them too. It's like it's, it's such a nerdy thing, but it's so true <laughs> that that was like, oh man.
1: Because you, when you're at a moment in time when you realize that you're you're making something, you're conjuring something that people have always sort of wanted or hoped would exist, and you know you've made it, or at least you've made the first best iteration of it. That must be a special feeling, and you could see the glee in Jobs' eyes uh, in that video when he realizes that he's he's Santa right there. He's like he's got a bunch of kids, and they're all like regressed to the stage of like opening their first gifts at Christmas, and they're or whatever they they celebrate to gift gift giving, and they they they're all just wide eyed. Are you lo- looking at it right now? No, uh,
0: no, I'm I'm pulling up something else. Keep going.
1: I love how there's Dr. Eric Schmidt uh, <laughs> from Google. Uh, on the stage for the first iPhone announcement. I completely forgot about that. But yeah, so basically he he's making real something and the people are, are just realizing, oh shit, this is what we've wanted. And at the time, I think, going back, sorry for going back to that, but at the time what I thought I wanted was just a tiny a tiny iPod Nano with a wheel that acts as a phone. That's what I thought I wanted. This was better than what I thought I wanted. Right. And just like in and it's a stupid comparison that i'm sure it's going to be um it's going to be thought of as kind of a stupid thing to say but when when people saw astronauts on the moon on tv a bunch of stuff that was impossible to think true now suddenly seemed like you know what there's people on the moon right now what the fuck we just let's just do anything <laughs> <laughs> right you know, right? There's another
0: it, side of this that you're approaching that I feel like should not be looked over. And uh, it's, take- it's not a silly comparison to make because a large uh, shockwave of the Apollo era and the space era and all of that was the enthusiasm that it conjured out of people to get into technology and science and engineering and all of this stuff that happened during the 60s, right? That's, that inspired so much technological advancement in society. That a lot of the stuff that we're using today is be- happened because of that, right? Like right. the the ability to inspire all of the young people that were interested in it at the time to go out and be something like that and build something like that, and like that was a that Apollo was a moment when that inspired a lot of people to get into those fields. And the iPhone was another one. You know, I'm I'm one of those people that inspired so many people to get into a field and start building things and understanding how technology works and get into that scientific engineering field. Yeah. That it is a very similar. Uh, event, you know the magnitudes of it. You can argue or whatever, but for that aspect of it, the the boom of technological knowledge that happened after each is very similar.
1: Right, and this is the point. That's, it's exactly where I was going. This is the point where I think I could even be a daredevil and argue that because the the ramifications of the Apollo pro, the Apollo pro program were were um, were civil engineering. Right, there were microwave ovens, stuff like that, like a bunch of things that Tiny rippled. Processors. Right, rippled out through civilian civilian life. But Tiny most of them at the time
0: is actually amazing because then it happened that we
1: could make small computers, phones, and then yeah, micro micro. What does that make
0: possible? It's just cool right. to think that, that like the thing that yeah. Keep but going. the
1: two are related. the The iPhone wouldn't have wouldn't have exist as as early as it did without the technological revolution that was just the the space race in general. And the ripples of it. But then at the same time, the impact, the direct impact and the ripples, I think, took longer than the ripples from the iPhone. Because w- when the iPhone was introduced, the, the usage of cell phones was reduced to a glorified cord phone with a text thing that's just really low resolution. And suddenly, now people use these things as personal computers. So now, a huge class of people who weren't interested in using personal computers or couldn't use them for applications in the field now suddenly can use them in the field. And then the intelligence and the technology now is in the field, and you see crazy, amazing applications like the people using them on sites, like on construction sites and digging sites and for science and for collecting data through the camera. And political
0: and revolutions. Right. <laughs> it's like door
1: to, Yeah, exactly. And door, political revolutions or door-to-door campaigning or like just... Com- Accepting funds in a food truck, go see the movie Chef, it's amazing. And then it's like <laughs> stuff like that. Like, did you see that sleeper advertising? But that's basically <laughs> it. The movie Chef, like the cultural food truck revolution, do you really think it would have happened that bad if people couldn't accept credit cards in food trucks through a silly little plastic thing that you plug in the audio port of your iPhone? And that is Android. why
0: the space race created food trucks. Boom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
1: Communism. C- Close the show. <laughs> Thank you, Sputnik. <laughs> That's it. We're done. I, I don't <laughs> think we're done, but, but so no. Uh, it's
0: cool to think about because you you yeah. don't realize that a lot, a large part of that. Like obviously we could have paid with cash, but it, you know food trucks existed, but it became even more popular when it was when they had the ability to take credit cards wherever. Yeah, and, and they opened pr- up to a whole new category of people that don't pay with cash
1: right and depending on how savvy people are processing a credit card it's 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 a little less dirty of an op like no it's not dirty but uh, of an operation as handling cash because you don't have to screw up the change you don't have to have a a cash register where you're like storing change and counting coins and breaking coins and doing things like that this is why i'm so upset super segue let's go at the square wallet debacle because to me square (laughs) wallet was this thing that Square didn't have the, I don't know, the focus maybe to to market to more people, but uh, I think a New York Times article that I I might be able to conjure uh, conjure up was basically saying that Square Wallet was this thing that nerds wanted to use, but nobody else except nerds wanted to use because it was not that much more efficient than using a credit card to pay for things. But the idea that you walk into a store that you generally tend to walk to, like a convenience store, a supermarket, a drugstore, store, or a coffee shop, and you don't have to take anything out of your pocket. You just say, hi. The person recognizes you through your location and the fact that your phone is open, like on, and you're there. And they ask you if it's cold, that they are going to charge you 10 bucks. And you say yes. And they charge you and your phone buzzes, confirms that you just paid. That's it. The we were both in a, in a firehouse subs a lot, and then there were huge lines out that firehouse subs, and they had a rule in that, in that restaurant, and I think a corporate rule, that the people have to get their sandwich within eight minutes, and that rule is based on, they, they know the timing of the kitchen after order and then delivery, but what they can't control is the timing of the line of people going in and that's the case for food trucks more than everybody else their su- their success is is like sadly something that make pe- may make people more angry because th- it's going to take longer but if you can process payments like this it's not just this tiny little nerdy thing where you don't get your phone out of your pocket you just made things like commerce more fluid and less risky because you don't take out your wallet so that someone can steal it you don't take out your phone from your pocket so that someone can swipe it from you like so many things like that and, right. So I'm basically saying that I'm upset at people dismissing technological sugar when is, it could have a repercussion on something. Like it is could actually. Was
0: Wallet the one that had like 30 different icons over the years?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was renamed a bunch so, of times too.
0: Did, so did they shut down? I don't know. I don't know if I'm. Yeah, not they shut it down. They they actually. Okay. I'm pretty Re- sure like they today? removed
1: it from the store. Oh, not today. It's been it's been it's m- been a while. Over a month now. But they okay. they removed it from the store on on the on the idea that basically not enough people used it not enough vendors turned it on which is crazy like that should be turned on right if yeah. you want people to use it just and I did that like a bunch of people like even Starbucks didn't know that it was on at Starbucks sometimes even though they so had, you're saying that
0: they're you're saying that they clearly had a they had a an gold, issue like getting no, they had a gem. around this
1: thing the prompt well right they see,
0: had a gem but they didn't focus on it enough or they didn't shepherd it into the right areas exactly. to be something that gained popularity and they were you know fighting over the iphone application icon redesigned right. it every right. other
1: version it's like they, you probably should have lost put sight that of, effort somewhere lost else. sight of end users which isn't exactly funny enough like people compared square to, to apple for a while because they were just uh, hiring a bunch of people from uh, from apple and not poaching it's just hiring a bunch of people who were ex apple but the problem is the fact that you don't have the focus to recognize that you have one revolution worth uh, worth worrying about and that you should worry about that one, focus on that one, like this, it seems to be like that it's okay that, that Square has a, like five great ideas, but they're like doing a half-assed job at five of them. But that's exactly what Apple's not doing. So if you're going to compare Square to Apple, rec- recognize the fact that these people were the first, huh, that's kind of funny, they were the first, so I guess... They got a lot of competition. But for instance, if you're if you know anybody in the food industry, when you say Square, they go, you know, a bunch of jerk offs from San Francisco who don't give a shit enough to visit the store and actually sell me their thing. Uh, and that's harsh. I'm sorry if you're someone from Square or you're, you know someone who works at Square. But that's the thing. If humans are your end users, you need to care about them and you need to try to convince them that this tool is for them. It's not self-evident that your shiny you know aluminum chamfered edges it actually had like somewhat chamfered edges like rounded i guess the original iPhone but that this thing is going to make your life more convenient maybe not better but more convenient then you need to work hard at it you need to like d- either iterate enough that it's just so good people can't ignore it or you need to go out and, <laughs> and show it to people
0: yeah and you can't you can't tell people that you're building a thing for them and you inherently care about them and who they are and what they do. Like you can't you can't convince people of that by telling them. There is no possible way you can do that. You need to convince them of that by the way that you build a thing, by the customer support that you have, by yeah. the interactions you have with every single user. And this is why I love um so Dave Wiskus, a designer who works on Vesper, Cube Branch, and he does all the customer support. Um And I always love following what he says about support because he has such a cool way of doing it and like keeping in touch with the fact that everyone's a human. And he, you know, he's very personable about the way that he does support. And he has some really cool guidelines he posted. I'll put them in the show notes um, about how you know they don't have any pop ups in their in their app about please rate us or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And what he does instead is if somebody emails and he's having a conversation with them at the end, if they're clearly happy and they're loving the app, they they pay a compliment to the app. They love it. They they use it every day or whatever. He says, "Hey, that's really cool to hear. If you love it that much, it really helps if you throw us a review." Nice. Like that's when he when he's already deep into a conversation with somebody. He he finishes off with that as like a you know we, we're having a human connection here. We're talking like a person. I care about you because I've spent emails with you, working through your problem or explaining to you why we do things, how we do things. We're having this actual relationship, and like that is where he he encourages that kind of behavior and they're more likely to give them a positive review then and help them out because they love the app they're having a like they know there's a human on the other side and they they know that the people building this thing care about me and you wow. cannot you cannot convince people of that by saying it you need to really show it in all of the ways that your product or, or service or anything interacts with that person
1: that's a that's a really good point point. and to our general idea of about giving a shit that's the last link like that's the last link of giving a shit. There's the thinking about humans when you build the thing. And when you finish the thing, it's realizing that you may have screwed up. There's many ways in which you may have screwed up. And the only way for you to know that you have screwed up is if you actually listen with your own ears. Ears? Hears. hears. Wow. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny that you say that because in in my early days at code school, what I did was uh, I think every day Adam and I Adam Renzel and I would do at least an hour of support because we didn't have full on uh, f- uh, full time support people like everybody rotated and we would do like baseline and I wrote a thing called support philosophy for just like kind of like explaining to other people's on, other people's on the team that uh, th- the way I thought about just people and what i thought was okay and actually i've always wanted to publish it so i guess i'll just clean it up and publish it for like after we we put this thing and i'll put it in the show notes but it was basically like i have some headings and it's basically the the idea that if you take any anything away from this i think this is one of the, the best bits is like remember that support is a shot at turning a bad experience into an amazing one when was the last time you contacted support in a great mood (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the loyalty we can earn by going that extra mile is what will make the difference between us being yet another learning tool and us being the best interactive learning experience out there. Because the the support is part of the experience. Like if if you especially when you don't have a real human being next to you telling you you just forgot a comma there. Watch out! Oh, this is no semicolon there. <laughs> like say that. And then the empathy. Like I try to make sure that people realize that while it's great to like not make it like don't make excuses like if something doesn't work don't like don't be that person who's like but 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 we made it awesome you just you just <laughs> found it in the bad state no you screwed up
0: i so i had a uh, i i like this direction where like the the human interactions matter so much more than the product itself yeah i had i had a completely different kind of not technology related really yeah. i mean a little bit but so i bought a pair of shoes like <laughs> Now, hold on, this oh, goes, go goes into cool spot. I bought a pair of shoes like uh, kind of a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I'm normally like a size nine, so I, I hey. bought a nine, and I bought them from Clark's. Makes mm-hmm. great shoes, right? This is not an advertisement. Mm-hmm. Bought them from Clark's go online through their through the their, their website, whatever, right? So they come, try them on. They don't really fit, oh. right? So I'm like, crap! I need to send these back. Order uh, they they run big, so I got to order like an eight or something. So I found and your, out your that ego there is kind of <sighs> bruised. Yeah, yeah you have eh, to wear eh, it. whatever. No, I. So I found out there was a there's a like brick and mortar Clark store. Wow, that was between where I was in New Jersey and where I was heading back to in Philadelphia, right? Hmm. So, I was like, okay, well, or it was like a weekend where I was going over to Jersey and back. So I'm like, oh, I'll drop them off on the way back. I'll return them at the store because that's pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. whatever. And it's a Clark store, right? Like the the brand store. Mm-hmm. So I go in and. I have my receipt and it says on the thing like if you want to return either send them back and we'll pay for the shipping or go into one of our stores and drop them off I'm
1: like uh, cool that's great you've been right
0: yeah so cool all right I go to the store and it's this like I don't know 65 year old guy the only guy in there who's like running the thing I guess and I'm like oh hey I, I want to return these shoes and he's like oh you buy them online and I was oh. like I was like yeah yeah why and he's like I hate when people come in here and return shoes because when they buy them online, because it comes out of my my books, like I have to pay for this then. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm I'm gonna do this return. He's like, ah, all right. So and he's grumbling about it the entire time he's processing my my thing. And then I'm just sitting there. I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna engage with this guy as he's doing this because I Mm -hmm. whatever. Like he's being a total jerk right now, so Mm -hmm. I'm not even gonna engage with him. I. Not even going to look at any of the other products in the store right now because I'm not, I'm not going to buy anything from this jerk. Mm-hmm. Just going to stand there, read Twitter while I wait. And he does this thing. He finishes and he's like, all right, well, next time when you're looking, come in the store and try a few pairs on and buy them here instead of doing this. Wow. And I, I was like, I said to him, I was like, do you think I'm going to do that now? Based on the way this whole thing went? <laughs>
1: It's like a Seinfeld <laughs> I, I episode.
0: Know, I wouldn't have done this if there was other people around, because I don't like making a scene or anything, but there yeah. was no one else in the store. And this, this pissed me off, because I, I, I think I read that day the Vesper support guidelines, yeah. which I loved, and I was like, oh, this is the best way to do support. And then I went and I had this shittiest experience ever, returning yeah. these shoes. And I said, I was like, do you think I'm really going to come in here now and, and buy shoes again? He's like, why? And I was like, y- I, w- I, the way this could have went is I could have come in and said, hey, I need to return these, they're too big. And you could have said, "Great, I'll help you out. While you're here, we have them over there. Try a pair on, see if you find one that fits." Or you know, next time when you're buying shoes, come on in. I'll help you size you up, and I'll I'll help you find the right pair, so you don't have to do the whole rigmarole of buying and sending back and buying a new pair. Like Mm -hmm. this could have went entirely different. You could have sold me. Yeah, Yeah. you could have been helpful. I would have been more inclined to say, "Hey, I like (laughs) buying shoes from a human rather than a website. I'm gonna go buy shoes from a human next time." Like that. That's the way I could have went out of the store. Instead, I got in my car and I was. Like I'm never going back into that store again because yep. that was the worst experience ever. So like that was su- I still like the shoes. The Shoes are mm-hmm. fine. The company's not what I'm mad about. This guy <laughs> who's running the shop who was pissed off at me for the shoes coming out of his books at well, the end of the month. Like that's that's obnoxious.
1: It's also I, in a way I'm pissed off at the company because that's the company's fault. Like if the if the onus is on the guy to pay for that, they're generating this this dislike they're they're seeding discontent in a way. So. Yeah, between the, the right. company
0: and I guess it's franchise stores or something like that. Right, that's weird. Yeah, it was just awful. And I was like, this could, it was frustrating because like it was so obvious that it could have went the complete different way where he was super helpful and said, I'll help you find the exact right size next time. And he could have been totally helpful and upbeat. And I would have, Next time I was gonna buy a pair, I would have went back to that store. And now you and have said, a shoe hey, guy. Help me find... right? Right? Hey, he's your I shoe, shoe guy. guy. Now. Yeah. I totally have a shoe you guy. You can be Barney, but and now you have, I a, shoe have guy. a shoe jerk who I'm never gonna go back to in my life. Like yeah. that's, it was that's just barber. really disappointing because there was such an opportunity there to turn my disappointment that I got the wrong pair of sh- the wrong size into, hey, this guy was really helpful and nice.
1: Turn your frown upside down. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's not just technology, you know, and and. Again, it's like the product is still good. My shoes are still good. I wear them. They're comfortable. Mm-hmm. But the, the human experience around that pair of shoes was horribly frustrating enough that makes me a little sad.
1: That's great. It's, and it's, this, it's,
0: it can happen the same way for your product or your service or whatever it is. Like I could love your product and then I have a either great or really crappy support interaction and it completely changes my outlook on the product. It either makes it really great and, oh, this is a well-made product and the people really care. This is amazing. This is my favorite thing ever. Or... It's a well-made product, but they're total jerks.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because this kind of stuff is we always forget that because you're working and you like you're trying to make the build the product or the company, and then someone interrupts you and says, "Oh, this is great. This is crappy. Like, ah, I hate this. Ah, this is bad." And you, the, what I'm more more worried about than the people who voice their opinion are the people who don't. And this is something that I actually raised at Ad Code School. I was like. I'm actually really scared of making our support less accessible. I'm very scared that people can't find their way. Like, I'm very scared that the threshold to raise a problem is too high for most people. So we lowered it. We made it more easy than it used to be. But I'm still worried that... Honestly, ask anybody who works in the software industry or just in the tech industry, how many of them send support tickets to say hey something's broken or well, not not necessarily to say something's broken for me but just hey this thing is not working right so very few so it's like that's i f- true, I, yeah. I feel like i berate everyone every time i just because <laughs> i make amazing that that's the other ends like you make amazing relationships with other people who build things when you send them support tickets because the good ones realize that you're there to help you're not there to shoot them yeah you wouldn't be a customer if you were there to hate them.
0: You wouldn't care that much to ruin their product. Exactly. You would just stop using it,
1: <laughs> right? And, and it,
0: unless you're Uber or Lyft, I guess. That's right. Yeah. I guess that's another. That's another right. rabbit hole.
1: <laughs> but yeah, but they're, they're fighting. They're also fighting over customers, though. Like the, the experience-wise, they're both trying to. They're doing potentially nasty tricks on the on each other, but like the end is like we need to the, the end user need to be more satisfied or something like that. I don't know it to summarize it's just like it's so easy to to find a person to hate and if you work for a boss you, like a lot of people like the default thing is like let's all hate the boss because but when you have customers and that's really your boss like when you're making products for people it's so weirdly easy to get into this mindset that they're the enemy when they're like you should make it your job to be their friends and to understand them better
0: Prove that you care about humans. Don't say it.
1: Yep.